And today I want to talk about the motivation. Now again, if, if you're visiting with us today or online or in the room, it's my honor to have you here. I just ask you to consider home, consider this home while you're here, and if God leads you to make it your home, then great. If you have another church home, then um, please go support your home church. But this morning, I want to talk about our, the, the reason for our generosity, the thing that motivates us, because it's not, I don't talk about money a lot, and you'll see a little bit why. But I do want us to understand some basics and some motivation, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of well-intended people and a lot of well-intended even pastors that say a lot of well-intended things about money that just aren't true. This is not my topic for the day, but I'll give you one. People will say, money is evil, right? Is that true? No. The Bible says the root of evil is the love of money. In other words, anything you put before God. But those money shouldn't be what motivates us. Because I need to remind you of some things first. If you've been here a while, you've heard me say this a lot. And for visitors, this is something I believe in wholeheartedly is that you were created on purpose for a purpose. You weren't just dropped in Sylvania. I know a lot of us maybe feel like we live in Sylvania, like that's where God, we're all kind of leftovers. Like all the big city people, they had big things to do and God just kind of plunked us in small town USA and said, y'all figure out something. See, I don't believe that's true. The Bible says you were put on this earth because God had something specific he needed to get done. Somebody, and it may be one person that needed to be reached, but it's, it's something with a purpose. But you see, my ultimate purpose in life is to make a difference. You have a purpose in your life that God put me here to do X, Y, Z. But we as a group are ultimately, we're here to do this, to make a difference. And I want you to understand something. That as we go through life, and I, you know, this last, well, a couple weeks ago on the 8th, I turned 49. We're all getting older. Y'all can clap because you're all getting older too. (laughs) Let me give you your Bible lesson for the day. We're all getting older, and unless Jesus comes back, we're all going to die. Isn't that uplifting? I mean, it's just truth. It's the way it is. But if we were to disappear now, and this is my prayer for, for us as a church and for believers, that my prayer has always been, if somehow believers' church just evaporated and we were gone tomorrow, my prayer is Sylvania would be like, what happened? Where did they go? Like, we need them. Like, they're, they're serving our community. They're feeding people. They're, they're loving on people. They're reaching out. They're inviting people, you know, to church. That We should be missed. So I want you to ask yourself this question. What will people remember when we are gone? Or maybe make it personal. What will people remember about me when I'm gone? If I'm out of here. Are people going to remember something about me? Yeah, he was funny. He had bad dad jokes. And, you know, are they going to say, no, that guy loved Jesus and that guy wanted people to know about Jesus or that guy was giving or that guy was generous? What are they going to remember? Because the word you're looking, the word we're talking about is this, is a legacy. And the truth of the matter is we sit and go to a funeral and we sit at somebody's funeral. What we're doing, because they're dead and gone, We're talking about what? Their legacy. It may be family. It may be friends. They may have been a single person with no kids, but, you know, built 
great nonprofit or led a church or impacted lives or served kids and fed children, whatever. Something's going to be their legacy. And we all have a legacy, good or bad. We all have been to the funeral. And I, for the record, I do my best to not do this at a funeral. But I have been asked, you do a funeral, especially for somebody I didn't know, and you go and talk to the family and say, well, tell me about old, old Bill. And nobody says anything. Like, come on, y'all, you got to tell me something. And then they start telling you how terrible he was. <laughs> you know, he was a jerk. He was mean. He was selfish. I'm like, no, something good. Like, we can't think of anything good. Right? And then you stand up in a funeral, and, and some pastors do this. I just convicted. I'm just not going to stand up and lie. And go, well, we remember old Bill. He was a good fellow. He loved people. Like, no, he didn't. He didn't love people. He hated everybody. He was stingy, right? And but what we're trying to do, we're trying to reshape what people remember, the, the legacy that old Bill left. Well, Bill's dead and gone, and his legacy's not changing, but good or bad, he's either the generous, loving, God-loving, family, you know, family legacy man, or he's not. Either way, you have a legacy. And the Bible talks about this in Psalm 112. It says, good will come to those who are generous and who lend freely. Now, notice it didn't say who just are stupid with their money. You just don't throw stuff away or give your time or your effort. Lending takes some thought. And who conduct their affairs with justice. Look what it says in the next verse. Surely the righteous will never be shaken and they will be remembered forever. In other words, their legacy will, will follow them. The goodness of God will follow them. There are people that we still talk about today, years and years later. People talk about Mother Teresa. If you've ever read anything about her, everything they image, they project of a Mother Teresa, the giving that cared for the poorest, sickest, dirtiest, lowest people in, in class that she could get in contact with, she really was that way. And her legacy today still impacts lives. The Bible goes on in, in Proverbs chapter 11 and says that the generous will prosper and those who refresh others will themselves be, say it with me, refreshed. I love watching people get this revelation. I love watching people serve and give. And the more they do, the more excited they get. The more excited things become. I'm going to tell you, we just came back a few weeks ago from Honduras, and this was my 14th or 15th trip to our, our care point, which is moving forward. We've begun to per, help them purchase land, and we're hoping to plan a, a new building for them. But every trip I take, and the last trip, it was just five of us, five guys, and we had more fun being goofballs in Honduras, playing with kids. But everybody I take, you can take the most stingiest, hard guy you can imagine, especially on our men's trips in November. And the moment you set foot there in Honduras and one of those little kids comes and jumps up in your arms and is just yapping away in Spanish and you don't understand the word they're saying, there's, I love watching people, they suddenly would give their life. Like, I'll sell everything I own right now. We're going to come help these kids. We're going to build this. And I always have to pull them back. Like, whoa, whoa, slow down. I get your motivation. But what you're experiencing is 
you're experiencing, you're giving to them, and they're, what they're giving back to you is overwhelming. It's, it, and when you serve, that's what we're talking about in generosity. That's what that verse was talking about. The generous will prosper, and those who give to others will themselves be refreshed. And I love watching people get the excitement about this. And it should be something in us. Those who've been around a while have heard, have heard me say this quite a bit. But there's something in us as we, as we get closer to God and we even talk about church on Sunday morning. That It's the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Some of you are maybe still traveling or maybe you ate Thanksgiving dinner Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, right? You got to cover all the families and we're all, you know, got tryptophan running through our veins and, we're, you know, our sugar levels are through the roof. And so on Sunday morning, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, a lot of us can have that attitude. Well, I got to go to church. Well, see, no, you don't. My opinion is this. You don't got to. We got to change the got to and the get to. Like this morning, you get to come celebrate. You get to come worship. You get to hang out with other people who are like-minded. You get to come bring people new that have never been here before and maybe experience God in, in a new way. But it, that should be, our motivation should be something on, on the inside. When you realize what Jesus did for us, when, like we talked about in communion, he came and did something for me that I didn't even deserve. And for a lot of us, you've encountered God, or maybe you're thinking about it now, at times when you really are angry with God. And you would just as soon give God the middle finger of love, right? And what do you, I don't want you in my life. Even then, the Bible says he did it anyway. So our, our motivations needs to change from the, from the got to and to get to. That God begins to change us. Even he didn't ask anything of us, just simply to believe. He didn't ask for us to do anything, just believe. So we go from got to to get to. Another way of putting it, we go from an external obligation. And this is not a positive or a negative. That when you're training a child and you're teaching them to obey, you're teaching them to tie their shoes, or you're teaching them to how to do something, they do it because you, a parent, have external influence and you teach them. There are a lot of us that never move past that in our, in our, our lives as a Christian. You're doing what you're doing because somebody in Sunday school told you this is what you're supposed to do. Somebody in your, you know, your church life, or maybe you're hearing me and you're just doing it because that's what the preacher said to do, just, and it's all external. Then there's the bad external of things that are influencing us that I'm doing it because I'm obliged to, because this is the, what I learned. This is what's, what, I, what I've been taught. You were supposed to do that. It's an external influence. But see, the Bible says, and God says, there's a better way. And God says, no, I need to take the external, and I need to make it an internal motivation. There needs to be something on the inside of us that says, I can do more of this. I can do better with this. I can participate in this. I want to. I get to get up and be a part of service the Sunday after Thanksgiving. I get to go this week and invite somebody who's never, who's never donned the doors of a church to come back next week to watch a movie in church and have the gospel presented to them through a movie. I get to do that. So he, God works on this internal motivation. Paul writes this in, in the book of Philippians. He makes a statement. He says, now, in other words, something just happened, but right now, it's even more important that we work hard to show the results of your salvation. In other words, it's put up or shut up time. 
Are we really going to do what God asked us to do? Did we really change? Obeying God with a deep and reverent fear. Verse 13. For God is working you, giving you the desire and the pleasure to do what pleases him. See, I believe the Bible says that God deposits on inside of us this motivation to, to serve, this motivation to give, this motivation to, to be a part of, of life and, and serve in people's lives. I watch it in Honduras again every time we go or as we're doing any outreach here. We're doing the, the parade or we're out loving people or watching families next door, watching people serve next door, that we're doing it not just because, but we're doing it because it's, it's an internal thing. It's a, it's a part of us that, how do I want to say this? It's something that grows on the inside of us because the more we do it, the more we get from it, the more it's done for us. That we're, we're not afraid. Let me tell you, this is another reason. You know why a lot of people do things for God? Simply for one reason. They're afraid of going to hell. Now, don't get me wrong. That's a very high benefit of knowing Jesus. I don't have to go to hell. But it should not be our only motivation. That's just the starting point. That's the judgment being removed off of our mess of our lives. That those external pressures that we want to be able to serve, we want to be able to give, I want to have the abilities, I go from external to internal. We want to be generous. And this is really what we're trying to say. If you want to talk in terms of, of what the Bible teaches, the Bible teaches us that we want to be generous because God took me from law to grace. From the Old Testament of rules, 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 which God knew long before that it was never going to work. Because if rules worked, if laws worked, and some of my buddies in the room that are in law enforcement, you'd be unemployed. Because if we just make a rule, you're not supposed to steal from the bank. It's a law. And then magically, there's no more bank robberies. Is that true? No, why? Because laws don't change. External things don't change what's on the inside. And God said, I need to get you to understand we're going to move from law to what the Bible teaches about the New Testament. It's grace. It's more than just rules. Now listen, don't, un don't misunderstand me. There is part of our faith that is being obedient. There's... I mean, you would agree if you've got kids. It's a big part of life with kids. You want them to be obedient. When you tell them to do something, you want them to be obedient. Not just because it's a power trip, but because sticking your finger in the electrical outlet is going to be a bad deal. I learned that. My grandfather was an electrician. He took a, a different approach and said, if you stick your finger in that, it's going to hurt and burn into your finger. I said, and I didn't believe him. So as I, don't remember, I was a young kid, so I just looked at him and did like this. Well, guess what? It hurt, and it burned into my finger. And I had to learn an external thing that had to make an internal imprint. But if I'd have just listened to him, but we're not wired that way as humans. That it doesn't work that way for us. So don't misunderstand me. We, obedience is part of our faith, but I believe we can, we can enjoy all of our faith and the faith of giving and serving. That we, let me just say this, a little bit of a detour. We work hard as a, as a church, and I work hard as, as the pastor, 
when we talk about money, that I never put you in a place where you feel coerced or that you feel manipulated. Now, yes, we do show you pictures of us going to Honduras. We wish we could show you a lot of pictures of like the Project 216 and all the kids. And that does maybe have an, uh, an effect on you. But we're showing you that as a report, not to make you feel guilty. We told you about Project 216 a few weeks ago, not to coerce you into giving, but to let you see how powerful your giving is. Those are two different approaches. So for me and the, the trustees who are on the board, that we work hard to operate this place so we don't ever have to beg for money. And I can stand before you say as, right now as we finish 2023 that your generosity, your tithing and your giving, now while we can all do better, that the church now is better than it's been in its lifetime. That we're, we're, we're in the black, bills are paid, we're, we're over budget coming in, what is our income, we're under budget on our expenses. And I tell you that because I don't want anybody to ever give because they think, well, the preacher said we need the money or they're going to turn the lights off. Or the preacher said we need the money or they're not going to be able to pay his, his salary and he's not going to feed his kids. That's coercion. But I want you to understand this. This is truly what, what we believe. This is what I believe for us personally, and this is what I believe for you, whether you do or not. That when God gives us more, it's not just to sit on a can, can all we get, and then sit on like hide it. We bury it in the backyard, or we just tuck it away. And, and Now, it's good to save. It's good to be a steward, and we do that. But when God gives us more, we do more for God and his people. God doesn't give you more to say, look at me, look at me. And there are a lot of Christians in a lot of churches that, that maybe somebody wins the lotto and they get a huge gift. You know, if, if, you, if you win the lotto, we'll help you spell million. And we'll show you how to electronically transfer it. But I never want that to be because you feel coerced. I never want it to be because you, you feel manipulated. We give... Because as God gives to us, I realize there's more to do. Let me put it in, in, in simple human terms. We do it because there's somebody out there that needs to be in here. Let me say it this way. There's your uncle, your dad, your brother, parents, your children that are out there that need to be here meeting Jesus. That's why we do more. Because there's a whole lot of people out there who, who are lost and hopeless. We do more for God. Now, I'm going to read these verses to you. I'm going to give you, if you go on your live notes, they're all there because I'm going to go through them pretty quick. But this is 2 Corinthians 8. And I got 12 verses up here. And I'm going to give them to you because Paul's talking about giving. And he's talking to the church in Corinth about a church in Macedonia. And he's telling the church in Corinth, hey, you need to be looking at these people's example because they've got it figured out and their generosity and they're giving. And he says, now y'all need to step up. He's not trying to coerce them. He's trying to change their internal motivation because the church in Corinth, their internal motive, their motivation was selfish. So look what he says. He says, and now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace. Notice that word there, grace, that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of very severe trial, so they're having a rough go in the middle of it, their overflowing joy 
And then it tags overflowing joy and their what? Extreme poverty. Yet they still are generous. Hold it right there for a second. Go back to that. I want you to notice this. In the midst of their trial. Now, we're in Thanksgiving. We just come out of Thanksgiving. We're in the holidays headed toward Christmas. We deal with family. We deal with life. Pressure gets high. But how many of you can say, like, I, the, I'm, I'm right now, I'm going through some things. Like, it may be different areas of our lives, but, like, I may not be extremely in poverty, but I'm going through some stuff. And Paul says, hey, but yet they still have joy. Again, I hate to go back to Honduras, but you want to watch this in action? Go to Honduras. Anybody who's been to Honduras, raise your hand if you'd agree with me. If you've been, you watch these kids who live in a, in a house built out of pallets who have, their, have a ball that we brought them that doesn't even stay inflated, that they play 52 games with because it's the only ball they have. They play basketball, soccer, volleyball, all with the same ball. Or they play tag or whatever, all with the same ball. They're happy. They are in extreme poverty, but in them is the most ridiculous generosity. Now that we've gone so much, when we go to Honduras and we go and while they're feeding the kids and we try to tell them, listen, we're here to serve you. We just want to help serve food. And now when we're done, they make us sit down. And they will not take no for an answer. If you've ever had to try, <laughs> tried to argue with, there's a lady... Her name is Adela, and she's over the care point. She speaks no English. I speak very poor Spanish. And I understood what she was saying simply by the look on her face and the sternness in her eye that she told me to sit down and shut up. And, and we're going to serve you. And I said, see. Sí. <laughs> and I went to get up. She said, no. And in Spanish, sit down. And she's telling me repeatedly. And then she looks at the next guy that was with me, and she said, and you, and you, and why? Because she had saved for months to fix us a dinner. Three weeks it took her to pay for that dinner. And we sat down and ate it. Wasn't quite sure what it was. And was hoping the trip on the airplane home the next day wasn't going to be complicated by it. But their the kids, they get candy. We, we give them candy, and inevitably, the kid will go into their little stash of three or four pieces of candy, and they, they walk up to you and, and give you one. This may be the only candy they see for the year, and they're going to give you a piece. Why? Because their generosity is based on their overflowing joy, not their overflowing extreme circumstances. Look what Paul says as he goes on in verse 3. He says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able to. They pushed it and gave as much as, based on their ability. And they did this on their own. Nobody forced them to. Verse 4, They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing. In other words, they're saying, Hey, we want to serve. Hey, we want to give. This was Adela in Honduras. Sit down because we're going to feed you now. But no, you don't understand. You know, we're from the States. We've got money. We've got food. We don't worry about food. We want you to keep the food so you can eat that food longer when we leave. No, sit down. They were urgently wanting to serve us. 
It says in verse 5, and they exceeded our expectations. Notice what it says. They, they, get, they didn't get things out of order. It said they first gave themselves to God. They served God. And then they also gave themselves to us. They served us. Look what it says in verse 6. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier, to make made a beginning, beginning to bring also a, a completion to this act of grace. There's that word again, act of grace. They're giving us something we didn't deserve. Then it goes, it says, but since you excel in everything. In other words, he's telling, listen, y'all got it together. You're in faith. Your speech is good. Your knowledge is good. You're earnestly following God and the love we've kindled for you. And you're showing people love. And he has this phrase on the end of it. It says, see that you also excel in the giving or the grace of giving. In other words, you excel and you give because grace is motivating you. But then verse 8, I want you to notice what he says here. I am not commanding you. I personally, Clint, am not commanding you to give. I'm asking you just to simply love Jesus and serve people. He says, but I want you to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. In other words, am I giving? Verse 9, for you know, there's that word again, the grace of our Lord Jesus, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. You get to have God. And here's my judgment about what is best for you. Last year you were not the first to give, but you also have the desire. Again, now God gives us the desire to do so. In verse 11, now finish the work so that your eager willingness maybe, maybe to do it may be matched by your completion of it. In other words, finish what God's asked you to do. Impact lives. Do your purpose. And in verse 12, for the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. And this is key because there's a lot of people in what I would consider people of faith that take this way out of whack. And they're the people that would tell you to write a check today and put it in the offering plate and just believe God that somehow magically overnight you're going to get the money and the check won't bounce. That's not faith. That's stupidity. Don't write a check to anyone, much less the church, that you don't have. But he's saying to them, hey, the gift is acceptable because you're willing, not because it's a million. The gift is acceptable because you're willing, even though the gift was a dollar. That you're willing. The Bible says, and I talked about this earlier, that he likes a, a joyful giver. And it's not based on what they have. But I said, I'm not commanding you. Here's what I'm asking us to do. Then I'm going to give you three things real quick and we'll get out of here. I'm asking you to love Jesus, serve his people. That's it. If you love Jesus and serve his people, your generosity, your giving, your, your tithing, all of that are not going to be an issue. Why do we do it? And here's the thing. So they can too. That's what we're doing. We don't come in here and we create programs just so we can say, look what we did. Let me, let me put it in some today, now terms. The reason we do this, and I ask you to love Jesus and serve people, is because right now in the other building, there's, there's people serving babies over there. And there might be a mother in the room today who hasn't had a quiet moment in the last week. Anybody identify with that? Like you got little kids and it's just like, I just need 30 seconds of silence. I've come home from some days with, to Melanie, and Melanie's like wide-eyed. Like, what's wrong? 
and it was a day that was rough with Emma. Like she hasn't stopped talking all day long. And it's just, I need, I need some peace. So now there's somebody sitting in here listening about a God who loves them and doesn't, hasn't forgotten them because somebody's serving next door. Let me bring it even closer to home. And I changed the story a little bit because I don't want you to know who it is. But there's generosity, loving Jesus and serving his people looks like this. It looks like your giving lets us do youth on Wednesday night. Let's us reach out to kids all over this county, and a lot of them don't go to church here. And let's us reach out to a kid that we get to in time who we tell them, hey, God loves you, we love you, and you have value. And you find out they were contemplating killing themselves. But they're here today. They'll be back next week and the week after and the week after because you were generous. You gave funds into, into God's kingdom. We use those funds to reach this kid, and this kid's still on the planet. That's what we're talking about. I don't mean to take, you know, suck the air out of the room, but if you've looked out there lately, there's a lot of things taking people out. And we don't do money just to say, look at us, look at us. We do money because every, every name out there matters to God. Every person that's come in the door and said, I, nobody cares about me, and they leave here today feeling like somebody does, then that's why we do what we do. I want to give you three things real quick. So grace is our motivation. Grace is simply God's given me what I deserve. That's what grace is. Grace is our motivation. So how do we do that? How are we motivated by grace? The first thing is this. I'm grateful, not guilty. This has two meanings. I'm, I'm grateful, not guilty. The guilty first is I'm not, God says I'm no longer guilty. Why? Because Jesus paid my price, right? The other part of this, I'm grateful that God lets me be a part of it. You know, there are church, it seems like the government and a lot of religious church are very good at making you feel bad because maybe God blessed you. Maybe you did win the lottery. More power to you. Maybe you did get an inheritance. Maybe you did invent the new Facebook and suddenly you're, you know, worth billions of dollars. And the world says, you need to give it away, pay your part, right? There's even churches. You know, there's a whole theology that basically says you can't be close to God, you can't be holy, you can't be righteous unless you're poor and you sell everything you have. Like, all you people who drove to church today, you're all, you're all not saved. You should walk to church. You shouldn't have a car, you should sell it. That's just crazy. They make you feel guilty. See, the truth of the matter is, the Bible says it's all God's. I'm grateful because he lets me have a portion of what he has. And he doesn't make me feel guilty about it. And the Bible actually says that I'm going to bless you so you can do more. Look what it says in Chronicles. It says, but I am the Lord God, and, I'm, and you're my people. And he asked, then the guy he's talking to asked this question. He says, who are me and my people? that we should be able to be this generous, but we're people that understand that everything comes from you. God, this is all yours. I'm not getting into tithing. Go back and listen to tithing last week, but my take is on this. If God, if God gives me 100% and he lets me keep 90 and give him 10, then any investor in the world would say, that's a good deal, right? 
yet we complain about it. But here he's saying, hey, everything's from you anyway. We have given to you only what comes from your hand. In the next verse, it says, Lord, our God, all this abundance we have provided for your building, for your church, for your name, all comes from you. It all belongs to you. I don't feel guilty. I feel grateful that God lets us be a part of it, that God blesses me so I can, I can then be a part of it again because when God gives us more, we what? We do more. It doesn't have to be, don't get caught up in money. God frees you up and opens up your life or maybe you have more time. What are you going to fill, with your, fill that time with? More stuff about you? Or maybe serving somebody who, who, who could use the hand, who could use the time? I'm grateful God entrusted me with this stuff. Number two, we're motivated by grace because, excuse me, I love people the way God does. Well, how does God love people? Completely. Holy. Jesus didn't come and just give part of his life. He gave all of his life. God didn't send like, I got three sons. Yeah, take the third one. And he said, no, I got one. And you're worth it. So I love people. I'm motivated to be generous because I love the people the way God does. Here's the way we look at it here. It's not about the project. It's about the people. Project 216 is not about, well, look at this project. Look at what we've reached all these kids and it's, it's working and it's wonderful, which it is. But it's about the kid. It's about the hurting. It's about the lost. It's about the kid who has nothing and needs to fill their belly before they can fill their hearts. It's about the kid who's wearing the same clothes every day and now it's cold and they don't have a jacket. That's what it's about. It's, nothing we do is about the project. It always is focused on something, which is God's people. He's focused on God's people. I'm motivated by that. We get excited about that project. The Bible says this in Acts chapter 4. The whole congregation of believers was united as one, one heart, one mind. They didn't worry about their own stuff and their own mess. No one said, that's mine, you can't have it, I've got nothing to give. They shared everything. Look what it says in verse 33. The apostles gave powerful witness to the resurrection of the Master Jesus, and grace was on them all. In other words, God gave us more that we didn't deserve as we served people, as we made people, number one. Ushers, you guys can go ahead and do your thing. I'll give you this last one. I love people like God does, but the reason I'm motivated, the reason I feel like we will all be motivated if we really understand, is that because I just fell in love with Jesus. I don't say that to sound sappy, I say that just to tell you, there's nothing, I hope Melanie will argue with me, but there's nothing special about me. I told my dad, this, uh, we were at Thanksgiving. There's, there's nothing special about us and my family. But all we could come up with was that we love Jesus. I'm grateful that he lets me be a part of this, that he put something in my account that I can give instead of having nothing to give. And I just love Jesus. And I want other people to figure it out. There's nothing complicated about when we say at Believer's Church, we want you to know God, find freedom from your past, figure out what your purpose is, discover purpose, and then everything you got, let's go make a difference. 
so that the kid that thinks he's worthless will bump into somebody like Eric and Gina Tinsley next door and find out somebody loves him and not kill himself. Or the girl that's thinking about taking her life because they've been made to feel cheap and not valued. The teenage girl that can bump into Eric and Gina and Melanie that says, no, I'm loved and I love you the way Jesus loves me. I just give you what I got, which is exactly what Jesus did. Look what the Bible says. You can go ahead and stand with me if you will. King David writes this. He says, what can I offer the Lord? In other words, what could I, you talking about buying a Christmas present. What can I possibly give God for what he's done for me? This This is the daddy just gives daughter a new car and she wants to know is he going to put gas in it like wait a minute you're missing the whole what this is God what could I possibly do what could I do what could I return to you well the Bible does say there's some things you can do and that's love Jesus serve people anything, if you take anything away today, I'm going to leave with this and I'm going to pray. Is that is this, when you understand Jesus gave everything, I mean, really understand that God sent his son for you, didn't have to, he chose to, even when you were doing the worst stuff ever, even when you were smoking, smoking, whatever, drinking, whatever, sleeping with whatever, doing whatever, telling God where he could stick it, all that kind of stuff. And the Bible says he did it for you. When you understand Jesus gave everything, generosity is easy. Generosity is easy to people who go, I know we're here and it's, you know, Thanksgiving, November, what's today, 26th, 2023. And I'm by no means perfect. And I still got a lot of issues and a lot of baggage, but you should have seen me a year ago. Now I got less baggage. Now I'm closer to God. I don't have a whole lot to give, but I'm gonna give God all I got. Why? Because he gave me everything. The last three weeks, they all lead up to this. You wanna understand why we're generous, why I tithe, why we're generous, why we do our best to give as much as we can, serve as much as we can, because Jesus gave me everything. And I didn't deserve it. That I've lied to God, I've lied to people, I've messed up, I've made bad decisions, I've He gave it to me anyway. And it has the expectations that somebody will come to know him because we get to be a part of it. The Bible says this in Luke. You can go ahead and bow bow your head and close your eyes. I'll read this to you. Luke says this, if you try to hang on to your life, in other words, if you make it about you, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life and say, God, it's all yours anyway, the Bible says that great things happen. So his heads are bowed and eyes are closed. That's my question to you today. Before we talk about being generous is, do you know Jesus? We never close the service without saying, do you, do you know Jesus? It's easy. The Bible says that you believe it in your heart. You confess it with your mouth. That Jesus was sent to die for you. The Son of God rose again, paid the price for you. Didn't ask anything of you but to believe. Bring your mess, your junk, your habits, your bad habits, all your hurt relationships. Bring it with you. And God says, then we'll begin to heal. 
but you got to believe in me first. And it's easy. It's a simple prayer just like that. God, forgive me. I believe you, Jesus, are who you say you are, and I'm following you today. For the rest of us, my prayer is this, that today we would not be generous or give. And by the way, if anybody's thinking, oh, I need to give, I need to give your normal tithing offerings. If, that, if you haven't done that yet, you're going to give online or give in the back like we normally do. I'm not saying don't do that. But if anybody says, oh, I need to give today because I need to, because you feel coerced or manipulated, don't. Hold on to it. You give when the Bible says you're motivated by what's on inside of you. And what's on inside of you, you want to demonstrate it externally. That's when you give. Don't give because some man convinced you or slick sales pitch. But God, today, for all of us, that we're generous because, God, we understand fully what Jesus did for us. That he's given us grace upon grace upon grace. He's blessed our families. He's blessed us. He's blessed, God, we're believing this city and this county. God, you've blessed the church. That even as we approach the end of the year, we're going to do more next year. Not because we can say, look at us, because you gave us more. And have higher expectations. God, for those who are giving today, I bless their giving. I bless their obedience and their tithe. God, I thank you that your word says when, when we give our generous, when we give our best, God, that you, you see it. I believe, God, you smile. And then you give it right back to us. And God, today we worship you for that. I thank you for that now. In Jesus' name. I want to encourage you during this last song, if you need somebody to pray with you, over to my right, your left. We'll always have somebody over here. I think Pastor Bob's over there today and Tammy. And during this last song, you can step out, go get prayed for. You can tell them as much or as little as you need to. But this is done so that you don't have to feel like you've got to hurry and go get your kids. It's okay. No, you're not going to distract anybody. But during this last song, that's your time to go. We'll stay as long as we need to pray with you. And we're going to believe God for a great impact on your lives. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this service. I thank you that it bears fruit in our lives. And God, I thank you in Jesus' name that you continue to pour out grace on us.